Well, God bless you. Thank you for joining us tonight. If you're joining us online, we welcome you too. We know that you won't watch this on Saturday nights when we're recording it, but the Word of God is powerful and effective whenever it is that you hear it, and we hope that is your experience. Over the last few weeks, we've been in a series called Come Together. I hope you've found it as challenging and encouraging as I have. It's been all of that. Uh, It's a vastly different mindset to think communally in Australia in 2021. We're so used to just worrying about our own show and living as individuals. And it's a massive challenge to think outside that box and open our lives up to each other. And COVID, if anything, has just magnified that challenge. It made it an even bigger one. Because there's this this fear that's come into our social existence. We hear so much about social distancing. And just today I see on the news that Brisbane's gone into another lockdown. The aged care facilities and hospitals, that is, this weekend, have gone into a lockdown. And, and it's a bad time to be a germ freak, hey, in, in this day and age. And uh, but, but in all seriousness, this social distancing, we know, we've, we've, we can detect it in our own hearts, if we're honest, has meant in some cases emotional distancing. We've drifted away from community and one another. And it's really, really important that we push back on that and continue to, to stay together, to continue to open up our hearts to one another, even when that's difficult and when there's challenges. Let's follow governmental guidelines, but let's not let social distance become emotional distance and spiritual distance. Let's stick together. We're drawing our inspiration from this series from Acts chapter 2, verse 42, where gaining encouragement from the early church and their devotion to prayer and to teaching and to communion and to fellowship. And over these last couple of weeks in particular, we've been looking at fellowship. And a couple of weeks ago, Isaac spoke to us from Hebrews 10. If you missed that, go back and check it out. It's a ripper sermon uh, about encourage one another and spurring one another onto love and good deeds. And then last weekend, I shared about unity from Psalm 133, where we learned that unity is pleasant, pleasant to God, pleasant to us. But unity is also problematic. It doesn't come easily. We have to work hard to maintain it. But unity is worth our persistence because it's by this, by our love, by our concern, by our unity that the world would know we are followers of Jesus. So we continue in this vein of fellowship. And if you've got a Bible, jump to uh, James chapter 5. I was going to say Psalm. That was last week. James chapter 5. If you've got an electronic device, you can go to the version notes and search Access Church and you'll find all of the notes there. James chapter 5 is our reading this weekend, and I'm going to be picking it up in verse 13. James chapter 5, verse 13. Let's jump in and read. Are any of you suffering hardships? Already know the answer. Yes. You should pray. Are any of you happy? You should sing praises. (laughs) Are any of you sick? You should call for the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick and the Lord will make you well. And if you commit any sins, you'll be forgiven. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. 
Elijah was a human as we are. And yet when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, none fell for three and a half years. Then when he prayed again, the sky sent down rain and earth began to yield its crops. My dear brothers and sisters, if someone among you wanders away from the truth and is brought back, you can be sure that whoever brings a sinner back from wandering will save that person from death and bring about the forgiveness of many sins. This is the word of the Lord and may he add his blessing to it. From the reading, we immediately pick up that in any church of God, we should expect to find people that are suffering, people that are singing and people that are sick. This is the expectation of a church because this is who the book is written to. James is not written to unbelieving sceptics. We learn from the opening chapter, James is written to dedicated followers of Jesus. That's the intended audience in mind. So the news is this, even people who are sincere followers of Jesus will still have scattered experiences of life. We gather this insight from the language James chooses to write with. Sometimes believers suffer, sometimes they celebrate, and sometimes they even battle illnesses. They're not immune. And I think this is kind of a stab in the dark on James's behalf because he asks them as questions, but it's an educated stab in the dark, or we might even say, Better, better said, an inspired stab in the dark because we know he's writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And he says some of the believers that are going to read this letter fall into these categories. Verse 13 and 14 cover it. The suffering, the celebrating and the sick. On any given day, in any given church, there'll be a mixed bag made up of those things. The suffering, the celebrating and the sick. I don't think this is a mathematical formula. You know, if we did a if we did a division on our numbers here at Access over this weekend, that we would have a third in that category, and a third in that category, and a third in that category. However, while it might not be a mathematical formula, it doesn't take much imagination, does it? Even if you think about your own life, that you visit those spaces. You have a week where you turn up here and you're, you're on the mountaintop, you're singing from the rafters, life is good, God is good, you're feeling like your socks are being blessed off and worship comes easy, praise flows. You sing with all of your heart and it's not really a difficult thing to do. There's other weeks where singing doesn't come so easily at all. It's a massive challenge. There's issues of life that cause concern or hurt or sadness even. There's an awkwardness between you and the boss, Mr. Impossible, that's rapidly growing and each day it gets worse. And this is a challenge that you carry in here. There's a loved one that passed away and sure they were older, but they were loved. And that sadness comes with you to church. There's an adult child that doesn't want to communicate anymore and that quiet treatment hurts. It makes no logical sense, but it really cuts. There's emotional suffering that we carry in here. You're being bullied at school and it's only March. You've got a lot of the school year left to go and there's no hope of getting out of that class. We bring all this into our communal interaction. Some of us are suffering, some of us are singing, some of us are sick. Others don't have an emotional struggle, but a physical one. The medication that the doctor said would help your child isn't really helping. There's no end in sight. The steps are anything but clear. 
Your back injury from last year seems to be getting worse and the pain is like 10 out of 10 on most days and the diagnosis isn't good. You wonder if you'll ever feel healthy again. Some of us carry mental scarring in here. Some of us carry emotional scarring into our church. And the biblical writer says this. He realises, James knows this is the experience. Some come suffering, some come singing, some come sick. Now, our numbers won't fall into neat and tidy statistics there, but the point is they all need validation. And what I want you to hear is you belong. Even if you've got some of those things going on in your life, you still belong. James says we should expect this, even suffering, even as committed followers of Jesus. And James didn't even need to tell us this. Jesus told us this well before James did. That the life of faith isn't an immunity from anything going wrong in our lives. It's more like a fueling station as we come together to help us endure the coming week and the challenges that will still lay ahead. So whether today you're seeing suffering or battling a long-term illness, you belong in the family of God. There's no need to question your place because you're not feeling like you're on top of a mountain right now. You belong. And in fact, if you're sick or suffering, you really belong. Because this is who James focuses on most in this text. And it leads me to say when you feel least like engaging in community, you usually need it the most. So keep doing it anyway. James normalises all of these experiences for the life of the Jesus follower just by naming them, just by putting his pen to paper and says, this is part and parcel of everyday life. You'll visit these spaces. So if this is your non-seeing day, you feel as flat as a tack, James doesn't say stay away. There's even more reason to connect. Let someone sing over you on those days. The suffering, the sick and the singers all have a place in the church of God. Church is not just a place for singers. In fact, if you're suffering, you need to know there's remedial power in community, in the gathering. You say, hold on, John, I think I'm hearing what you're saying, but haven't you noticed a modern trend in churches? Haven't you noticed that whilst James might be naming this reality, most modern churches don't want to know about it. They only want to hear from the singing type. If there's three groups at any point in time that it's happening in life, the sufferer, the singer, the sickly, don't you know that the church photographer wants to capture the happy chappy? The church photographer wants to carry the happy family. The church photographer wants to capture the singer. Tell me any website anywhere where the homepage doesn't contain someone that looks like this. Ka-ching! It's type two that churches are after. They don't want the sufferer or the sickly. They want the happy clappy, the celebrating ones. We want them and our website show it. And the not so subtle message then is if you can't come like that, don't come at all. Make yourself inconspicuous. Hide in the corner somewhere. Don't be seen. Whilst churches might want people on mountaintops, high on life, fresh as a daisy, pinging as they're singing, it's just not honest and it's not biblical either. 
James is willing to put the full gamut of life on the table and says, all of these experiences will be yours. You'll have good days, but you'll have some not so good days as well. And one of the core activities that will keep your faith grounded is stay in community. Just keep staying in community. Well, Johnny, you say it's wonderful that you're validating all these experiences, but what you don't seem to understand is this. On those days that I'm suffering, uh, I'm not pretty. You don't realise how low I can go. And if by coming I'm going to scowl and moan and put others off with my grumbling, why would I come? Well, don't scowl and moan and put others off. But come, come, come honestly, come with authenticity, even when you're feeling sad. There's a difference between presenting as a whinger, which isn't cool, and presenting as someone going through a genuine trial, which is fully expected. It's part and parcel of life. And if God's welcoming the brokenhearted, why wouldn't we? So the call here is to stay in to source the blessing of community. Resist the urge to hide away when you don't feel like it and stay connected and do your utmost to bring an open heart to God and to community because ultimately it's you that gives others permission to minister to you. It's you. It's your open heart. If you're anything like me, when you're flat as a tack, you feel like hiding. But James calls us out of this shell and says, no, 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 don't do that. Don't unplug The enemy of souls wants that. He wants you to isolate. He knows when sheep get off on their own, they're more vulnerable. And that's what he wants. But stay in community, continue to be present, even when you feel flat as a tack, like your battery's only running at 50%. You say, John, I 50. I'd take that. How about five? That's where I'm feeling right now. Well, I say congratulations for being here. If that's where you're really at, if you're like, I'm, I'm running at five, then I go, congratulations, elephant stamp, just for showing up. That's amazing because that's true faith when you feel nothing, but you keep presenting and say, here I am, Lord. You know, we don't remember what we had for breakfast two weeks ago, but it still sustained us. And in two weeks' time, you probably won't remember this message. You probably won't remember the songs we sung. You probably won't remember your conversations afterwards, but it still sustained you. In that moment, it was carrying your faith along. James actually is less interested in the singers. He gives them nine words. He says, are any of you happy? You should sing praises. That's all you get. If you're a singer this weekend, you get nine words. James is very punchy. He's always to the point. He doesn't waste words. But to the sick and the suffering, James dedicates a whole section of Scripture here. He recognises the remedial impact of community on the sick and suffering. And he says, don't isolate, stay in community. But what might be surprising is James says it's on them, the sick and the suffering to source help. It's on them. The expectation from James is to, is to say to the sick and suffering, source your own help. James will go on to say healing will flow through community. True, it'll happen. It'll be, it'll be triggered by community, but, 
but, but it's up to them, the sick and the suffering, to actually seek it out. Look what he says. First, healing will come via a call. Are any of you sick? Verse 14. Who? Who should call? You should. The person who's sick. You should call for prayers. Healing comes via your call. Whose call? The sick person. It's on you to give others permission to minister to you. Who's obligated to ask for help? The sick are. This seems a bit insensitive, don't you think? I mean, haven't they got enough to think about with their own challenges and their own health at that point in time? Wouldn't the church just be in tune enough and be sensitive enough to know that they need help? Well, it's not the way James puts it. He puts the shoe on the other foot. He goes, no, 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 it's on the sick to call out for help. The obligation is on the person who needs the help to ask for it. They need to put up their hand and say, I need help. They call out for it. Now, does James mean they make a phone call? Well, given phones went around in the first century, I don't think so. Now, is this person so unwell they can't even make it to the church building? Perhaps. Perhaps this ministry was intended to be in a home environment. We know many of the early churches met in homes anyway. So where the actual prayer ministry happens is very much secondary. If it happens in a church building, good and well. If it happens in a home, good and well. That's not the point. The point is who does the calling? Who takes the initiative? Who God puts that on? He puts it on the sick. Now, this isn't out of kilter with the rest of the Bible. In fact, if we scan the life of Jesus and, and the healing ministries that he did, we actually see a pattern forming here that most of the time when Jesus does a miracle, he doesn't just randomly walk up to people and say, kaboom, kaboom, zap, heal you. No, often, most often, it's a person coming to him. It's a person initiating the need for help from him. Now, this suggests two things, I think. Maybe more, but here's a couple. Desperation and humility. Unless you're desperate, you'll just continue to fumble and bumble on in life. But when you're desperate and you can't handle any more, you'll call out. You'll let the need be, know, be known. It takes desperation. It takes desperation and it takes healing. A proud person doesn't want to let anyone know they have a need. They're, they're, they're too busy trying to keep up appearances, trying to, trying to let everybody know that this, this perfect facade they've got going on is, is real. But a desperate person, a humble person, they don't care. They don't care what other people think. They'll call. Jesus tells the story of blind Bartimaeus, or at least it's recorded, and this guy, Bartimaeus, he hears that the Son of God is in the vicinity. And he, he can't see, he's blind. But he hears about it and he's been waiting for this moment. And what does blind Bartimaeus do? He screams at the top of his lungs, Jesus, have mercy on me. Why? Because he's desperate. All the crowd think he's bonkers. They're like, mate, calm down, quiet down. He doesn't want to hear from you. And he calls out even louder, Jesus. He's desperate. 
if we're to get a breakthrough, we need to get desperate. Desperate. Then we'll call. Everybody else thought he's loopy. He don't care, Bartimaeus. He's using his outside voice. Jesus, I need you. A proud person won't admit they've got problems. They aren't going to put their hand up and be vulnerable and show their need. And so healing is reserved for those who are desperate and humble, who are willing to to call out and ask for help. You might want to push back on James and go, well, time out, Jimmy. I mean, I hear what you're saying, but why wouldn't I just talk to God about my issue? I mean, I don't want to involve other humans. I'm not sure I can trust other humans. I mean, this information is private. Why wouldn't I just talk to God? Well, it's wonderful if you're talking to God about your issue. That's a great start. But apparently God is interested in us spreading it out into human interaction as well, sharing the burden. He wants us to not be self-sufficient, but to actually operate in community. And he knows that we need the prayers of one another. And the duty is on me when I'm struggling to make that call. And the duty is on you when you're struggling to make that call. The next point pokes even harder at our tendency for inwardness and self-sufficiency. James is just getting warmed up. Here's another notch. Healing comes via your call and healing comes via your confession. What's confession? It's an honest admission of where I'm at, warts and all. It's an honest admission that I'm struggling, I'm falling short of God's standards. I'm stuck in a bind, I'm, I'm caught in sin and I need help to get out. And coupled with faith-filled prayer, James 5 says, breakthrough happens when we call and when we confess. Confess your sins to each other, James 5.16. Pray for each other so that. This is what we all want. We want the outcome but not the process. You'll be healed. Well, yeah, I'll take some of that. And God says, well, well, okay, then call and confess. This is the pattern. This is super foreign to us, isn't it? Us Aussies in 2021, confess our sins to people? What? What a wild idea. We've been so conditioned in our church traditions through the Reformation from 500 or so years back. And I did a bit of a talk on this in the first session of this series, so I'm not going to go over it all again. You can go back and listen. But one of the outcomes of the Protestant Reformation where Martin Luther challenged and rightly challenged the church at the time and their overreach on authority where they said, you have to come through us if you want a relationship with God. Church priests were the ones that had the right to forgive sins. And Luther tipped this kind of authority-based religion on its head. He said, it's not like that at all. You are personally accountable to God. And this is wonderful. But we've overcorrected. And we're now way, way, way over here. And we're at the opposite end of the spectrum. And we now have subjective-based religion. Everybody does what's right in their own eyes. Nobody has the right to question me or tell me what I can and can't do or know my secret business. Luther was onto something. Only God can forgive sins. 
and we confess our sins to God in order to be forgiven. Don't, don't come to me as a human priest to have your sins forgiven. God forgives sins. That part of the Reformation was a wonderful correction. But the result over time has drifted to a space where we now say, my life is nobody else's business. I go directly to God. Nobody else is to know about my inner world. And James goes, ah, ah, not true. Confessing your sins to God brings forgiveness, yes, but confessing your sins to other humans brings healing. Did you notice the difference? Confessing your sins to God brings forgiveness, but there's some healing thing. There's some remedial impact in confessing your sins to other humans. There's clearly benefits. Honest sharing is supposed to happen. Once again, let me state what now be, may be obvious, obvious because of my repetition on this. I give that permission. James does not say here to any of us, Get out the sin detector and scan over your people and find. Beep, 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 beep. I'm pointing here because it's my wife. I've found a problem. Everybody come over here. Somebody needs prayer. James doesn't say that. He doesn't say we get out our sin detector and we come to critique one another. No, no, he says. I make the call and I initiate this confession. I'm the one with my hand up saying, I am falling short of holiness. God is not pleased. I need your help. It's on me. And in doing that, in me calling, in me confessing, James says, healing comes. This is the body of Christ and it's beautiful. Breakthrough happens. I hope by now something else is becoming obvious to you, not just through this message, but through this series. Your relationship with God is not just about God and me. It's about God and we. There's a communal aspect to our faith that we often miss. Relating to God is not just a vertical thing, it's a horizontal thing and it's a quantum leap for us to get in this headspace in our modern age of individualism. It's a massive shift for many of us to go from God and me to God and we. But that's the kind of headspace we need to get into. Or we get stuck in our destructive behavioural cycles and we'll never break free. James says you need one another to do it. If it's news, let it be news. Breakthrough will take a team effort. You're not equipped to make it on your own. You need the church of God around you. And you need to open up and say, hey, I've got issues. I need help. Would you pray for me? We return to our big idea then. I'm not a spectator in this. I don't sit back and passively wait for somebody to come along and notice me. No, I make the call. I make the confession. I take the initiative. And in doing so, I give permission for people to minister to me. That's on me. I get it. This doesn't sound that attractive. 
call out for help, confess your sins. Sounds like a very humbling thing to do. So it doesn't sound natural, doesn't sound overly appealing. You might say, Jono, I'd rather be sitting on a, on a tin roof in the Queensland summer than do those things. I mean, they don't sound at all enticing. Well, I hear it doesn't come easy. But this is a God-ordained means for breakthrough and growth and change in our life. These are God's words, not mine. Get others involved in your story. If you're sick, if you're suffering, get others involved. Get others involved in the story. Life is not supposed to be God and me, it's God and we. And when we approach life in this way, regularly putting up our hand, admitting we need help, acknowledging we're falling short, healing becomes our experience. This is a pathway that God's Word communicates to us. As we move to a close, there's one more thing and it's a problem, a biggie. I've saved the best news to last. It's actually where all this healing talk ends up at. It's the pointy end of the stick. There's people under the sound of my voice that go, Jono, I've ticked those boxes. I've confessed all my sins. I've asked for help. I've got the leaders to pray for me. I've done all of that. And the breakthrough that I had hoped for hasn't happened yet. Somebody else will say, well, I know, pick me. They must be holding a secret sin. That's the only explanation. If the breakthrough hasn't come, if the problem still persists, there's one possible explanation. They're withholding a secret sin. That must be it. If only it were that easy. Sin can lead to suffering. That's very clear in our Scriptures. But not all suffering is because of sin. And you say, prove it, John. Okay, let's go to the top of the tree and considering the life of Jesus. He did nothing wrong and he suffered more than any of us ever will. Suffering does not always equate to a hidden sin. If there's someone under the sound of my voice today that goes, I just don't get it. I can't make sense. Two plus two is not equaling four in my life. I've done all of these steps and still the breakthrough hasn't come. Let me finish with this principle. The need to marry supplication and surrender. There's a need to marry supplication and surrender. In 2016, in August, my mum was diagnosed with very, very serious diagnosis. I won't go into all the detail, probably get too emotional and we don't have time. But we were told as a family, make the most of coming weeks because that's all you'll have, weeks. I said, if, if she makes it to Christmas, consider that a miracle. And so we're thinking three months tops. Around about the same time, a lady in a church nearby also had a similar diagnosis. To cut long story short, that lady passed away soon after, much younger than my mum. My mum is still here today, five years on. Just this week, mum sent a message, just coming from the specialist 
given the all clear again. I'm like, how amazing is God? But what about that other story? See, that, 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 one's, that one's easy to deal with, isn't it? But what about that other story? Did that lady have a secret sin? Did that lady lack faith? Did that lady not follow the proper formula? I don't think so. So why did she die? Honest answer, no idea. I don't know. I don't have an answer that will suffice the question. She died a horrific death. The church uh, in the lead up to her death was pronouncing her healed publicly. They were standing up on the stage saying, this lady's been healed, we've prayed, we've believed. She's taking communion every day. She's doing all of these right things. God has heard our prayer. She was, she was healed. She's healed. And the word of faith was going out. And a short time later, she passed away. It created a lot of people disillusioned. It's like, oh, we believed, we fasted, we prayed, we did this, we did that. We went right through the alphabet. We followed all the steps of what's going on there. I see that story unfold and I have my mother's case to deal with. Obviously, an emotional case close to home for me. I'm the pastor of the church that my mother's in. She calls for the elders of the church to pray over her. I'm one of them. But I'm feeling torn because me leading a prayer about my mum's health when it was in such jeopardy was going to be too much. So I asked one of the other elders, I was present, but I said, would you anoint her with oil? Would you actually lead the prayer? And I'll be there. And all the church leaders were there. But can you actually run that part of the prayer? Because if I do, I'll probably be a blubbering mess. And, you know, the, the momentum of the meeting's lost. He said, I'll be happy to do that. And he did. We lifted up the supplication. That's the big ask. We, there was 20 or so of us there, we prayed with all of our might. There was a prayer of faith that went up for my mum, like you wouldn't believe. The atmosphere was electric. Somebody in particular prayed for an extension of 10 years to mum's life. Now, mum's 75 at the time. And we were thinking she's got less than 10 weeks. So to ask for another 10 years just seemed like an extraordinary prayer, but something in my spirit leapt and I went, I can say amen to that. The Holy Spirit bore testimony in me and I thought, yes. We didn't make any big comments. We didn't make any big pronouncements. We just, just something in here that went, yes, yes, I believe in that. So we lifted up the prayer of faith for half an hour or so. People prayed with all their might, believing for my mum's healing, spoke words over her, etc. And then it came my turn to land it. And I'm like, where do I land this? Because I really, 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 really want to see my mum healed. But I really, really, really don't want these people as their leader to be leading them up the garden path and say, mum has been healed. And then not to happen. So this is what I said. I said, hey, everyone, thank you for being here. We have lifted up the prayer of faith. That was our part. We have lifted up the prayer of faith. Heaven has heard our prayers. And now we leave the results to God. 
And so we will surrender. And we're going to do that by worshipping. And I led them in a couple of songs of surrender where we left the results to God. That's His department. Our department is to lift up the prayer of faith. His department is to decide what happens with those prayers of faith. It's marrying supplication and surrender. Don't miss either of those. There's church denominations that focus on one side or the other. They say, oh, it's all about God's will. And they never ask anything. Or the other side of it is it's all in my hands. I've just got to have enough faith, enough faith, enough belief, enough following the certain formula and I'll get the breakthrough. Well, no, no, no. You've got to marry, marry supplication and surrender. Would you join me for prayer? Lord, we are in awe of you and all you've done. And we're in awe, Lord, of this incredible offer you give us here in your Word to pray, to lift up our petitions before you and to to even before one another admit needs. What a blessing it is to be in the family of God. What a blessing it is to lift our concerns to heaven and know that they're taken seriously. So Lord, we commit ourselves to you in these moments and we bring to you the burdens we carry and we're we're believing and asking tonight for breakthroughs. Thank you, God, that you are more than able to do mighty things when we bring things to you.